Hi, I'm Jenny, and here's just a few things that are coming up here at Crossroads. Have you been to my Crossroads yet? If you haven't, simply log on to cccgo.com forward slash mycrossroads in your browser and log in today. This website allows for you to give your weekly offering online, register for events, see the church calendar, and interact with any groups you're a part of. So what are you waiting for? Go to My Crossroads today and get started. It's still summer, but we're getting ready for our fall kickoffs this year. There are a lot of changes that are happening and we don't want you to miss out. Great promotions will start the weekend of August 13th and 14th, so if your child is going from 8th grade to 9th grade, they will be able to be a part of high school services and events starting on August 13th and 14th. Middle school services are also going to change. Middle school will only have services on Sundays at both normal Sunday times 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. in room 222. This means there will be no middle school services on Sunday nights. High school students will have some changes as well. They are moving their services from Sunday nights to Wednesday nights from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. The first service with this new time for high school will be Wednesday, August 17th. We are excited that you've joined us for our 4th of July weekend here at Crossroads. As a church, we are so thankful for the freedoms that come with living in this great nation and being able to serve our community. Make sure that you spend time with your family this holiday weekend and have some fun. For more information on these events and the many other events that are happening here at Crossroads, you can check your bulletin or go online to cccgo.com. Well, happy Fourth of July weekend. Uh, I personally want to thank those of you that live in my neighborhood who drank way too much last night and were shooting off fireworks till about 3 a.m. I uh, hope you got more rest than I did last night, all right? Well, uh, I do love this country and I'm so grateful for those of you who have served to preserve our freedom here. You know, my grandfather uh, served in the army during World War II and some of my earliest memories were when he would share stories uh, with me about what it was like to drive tanks through battlefields over in Europe. And I remember on one specific instance, I asked him why he chose to serve in the army during World War II. I mean, after all, he wasn't born here in America. He was born in Cuba. I'll never forget what he told me though. He said, for a country that has done so much for me, it was the least I could do in order to give back. You see, America provided his parents a job when the Cuban economy had tanked. America was uh, was a much safer place to live than Cuba was at the time. And whenever he and his family moved to South Florida, they were immediately embraced and welcomed by their community. I mean, after all, this is a country where you could actually vote for government officials, unlike Cuba. And so my grandfather felt so in debt to what this country had provided for him that when the opportunity arose to do for others, others would have been done for him, he took advantage of it. I mean, it was the least he felt like he could do. Now, this weekend, we continue the series called Rewired, where we've been looking at something in the Bible called God's kingdom. And God's kingdom, we've been defining uh, as this, that it is the reign of God where all creation is reclaimed and restored. 
And so what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at a very famous message that Jesus preached one day on a mountainside that's been traditionally referred to as the Sermon on the Mount because it was in that message that Jesus made known to all of his followers what life is like in his kingdom. And so what we do today is we find ourselves in the very next verse uh, in this message, Matthew chapter five, verse seven, Jesus said it like this. He said, blessed are those, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Now this word blessed means to be congratulated. It means to be praised or, or uplifted, all right? It means to, to experience something that is, that is more than happy, to experience the favor of God. And so to be shown mercy means that you have first experienced mercy in your life, right? It means to, to put others' needs and wants ahead of your own. And you see, being merciful is the practical expression of gratitude for what you've been given, much like my grandfather. Serving his country, mercy is this way that, that we show our appreciation for what we've been given. And so Jesus tells us that if you are a part of this greater kingdom, then you've been given a lot of mercy and grace and patience and, and the kindness of God is made known in your life. And therefore, in light of that reality, mercy is expressing gratitude for what we've been given. Maybe a better way to say it would be like this, that mercy means to do for others what's been done for you. To do for others what's been done for you. The Greek word for mercy actually means deeds of deliverance. And when we look in the Bible, there are really three ways in which we can uh, express mercy, all right? So mercy, in other words, is manifested in three different ways throughout the Bible. The first way is this, that we can show mercy by extending forgiveness, all right? And for those in Jesus, we've been forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness, of all brokenness and sin. We're no longer in hostility towards God, though we were the ones who rebelled and wanted to go on our own way. This divorce that we filed for has severed ourselves from a relationship with our Creator. Yet the offer of Jesus is to be released from this penalty and for him to carry what we carry around, the weight of our shame, the weight of our brokenness. Now, due to living in a really fractured world, if we're honest with ourselves, we have a lot of opportunities throughout our day to practice extending forgiveness to others, right? I mean, we have people in our life that frustrate us, that offend us, that hurt us. I mean, they arouse our inner anger. I mean, just the mention of that person's name or the sight of them heading your direction, kind of stirs some pretty strong emotions within you because, I mean, after all, they wounded you in your past. And yet the invasive, upside down, backwards call of Jesus is to give those very same people forgiveness. When talking um, to a specific church about the need for unity, a guy by the name of Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter four. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, all right? Forgiving each other, How? Just as, here's our motive, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And so Paul is telling people that if you believe you have the right to be angry, if you believe you have the right to be frustrated to people in your life, then do for others what's been done for you because of what Jesus performed on the cross, because of what he did for us on the cross. Now, this past Monday, my wife, Savannah, and I celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary. And just like any and every couple in here, I, it is quite an accomplishment for her. Thank you. Uh, 
It's amazing. But like every couple, we have gone through our moments where we get frustrated with one another and we have conflict and we annoy each other. And, and just for the record, I am never the so- source of annoyance, all right? <laughs> we all know that's not true, right? But one thing that we are constantly learning in marriage is that whenever we withhold forgiveness from each other, all right, we are choosing to believe that the other person owes the other person something, right? And yet Ruth Graham, she said it best that forgiveness, a good marriage is, is the union of two forgivers. And so forgiveness is vital to maintaining healthy relationships in our life. Now, whenever I perform wedding ceremonies for couples, I always tell them in the middle of the ceremony that in spite of all my flaws, in spite of all my brokenness, in spite of all of my disobedience and sin and brokenness, even when Jesus had every right to leave me and abandon me, never once has he served me with divorce papers. You see, the Bible goes so far to say that even when we were enemies of God, even when we were in hostility towards him, do you know what Jesus did for us? He died for us. And so extending forgiveness, all right? Understand it, it does not mean that you instantly forget what happened. It doesn't mean that you'll never struggle or that people, or or that God is calling you to be best friends with that person again. It doesn't mean that you remain in an abusive circumstance. No, extending forgiveness is about you being released from your bondage to bitterness and that you no longer make that person pay for what they did. You are choosing to believe that God is going to enact justice upon that person for what they did. I realize this is a process, right? Forgiveness doesn't happen overnight. But you see, doing for others what's been done for you allows you to see how much we've been given through Christ. Now, the second way in which we can show mercy is this, by pursuing compassion. Pursuing compassion. Now, compassion is an action that we take, all right? And so regardless of how we feel, compassion is about pursuing wholeness and restoration for people who are in the midst of brokenness and pain and darkness. Now, this form of mercy is about running towards, not away from the messiness of this world. It's how Jesus lived. You see, people did whatever they could just to be near Jesus. One time he was teaching in a really crowded home and there were a couple of guys who who wanted their crippled friend to, to know and experience Jesus. And so what they did was they cut a hole in the roof of the home just so their friend could be introduced to Jesus. I mean, people were just drawn to him like that. Whenever Christ would try to get away and have solitude by himself, the Bible says that at different moments, the crowds would find him because they were seeking him. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus has called and empowered each of his followers, his church, to pursue that same kind of compassion. You see, Jesus has healed us of a disease called sin. He has delivered us from the bondage of slavery. And so acts of compassion illustrate just what Jesus provides. Sometime during the fourth century, a church leader by the name of Gregory of Nyssa preached a sermon on the need for Christians to pursue compassion. I want you to take a look at an excerpt of the message that he preached that day. He said it like this, ill people have been made in the, in the image of God in the same way you and I have and perhaps preserve that image better than we. Let us take care of Christ while there is still time, he said. Let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment. Let us show Christ honor, Gregory said. 
Now that message in itself inspired followers of Jesus to start and establish little institutions that we now know of today as hospitals. You see, the church at the time made a decree that wherever a cathedral was built, they took this so seriously, that wherever church buildings were constructed, that there must also be a hospital nearby. Why? To care for the sick people. Sociologist Rodney Stark argued that one of the primary reasons for the spread of Jesus' movement throughout the globe was because his followers responded to sick people in a very compassionate way. But you see, pursuing compassion isn't just about caring for people's health. You see, life in God's kingdom is about running towards restoration in all the broken areas of society. And I gotta tell you, we love hearing about how so many of you are serving with your small group at the Evansville Rescue Mission. So many, so, so many of you are using your gift of building to uh, reconstruct rundown homes in our community through Community One. A few of you have served needy children in Haiti through Sunlight Ministries. I loved how many of you have chosen to adopt children. Some of you have chosen to serve in prison ministries across the state of Indiana. I love hearing about how, how you guys came together in 2005 to repair homes, chop up limbs, clear streets and neighborhoods when the tornado ravaged through our community. You see, that's what it means to show compassion. But you see, as a church, compassion isn't just about doing good deeds. You see, it's doing for people what's been done for us in a very visible way. Pursuing compassion is about bringing wholeness and restoration to this lost and broken world. Now, Jesus takes this so seriously that he foretells of a time at the end of time when he will tell his followers, his citizens in his kingdom that have practiced compassion well, here's what he's going to say to us. He's going to say, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, he said, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and what did we do? We came to visit him. You see, Jesus takes this so seriously that he's saying, hey, look, when you show compassion to broken, needy people, you're really doing it for him. And so just know that moving forward as a church, we are gonna increase your accessibility to pursue compassion here in our community and around the world as well. Now, the third way that we show mercy is this, by practicing generosity. Practicing generosity. You see, through Christ, we've been the recipients of mercy and grace. One thing that Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount is that where your treasure is, we all know this verse, if you've been to church before, there your heart will be also, right? You see, what we spend time and money on is what we care about, what we defend, what stirs our affections. You see, the world around us tells us to accumulate and to consume as much as possible. But you see, when you enter into God's kingdom, you've actually been the recipient of his generosity. Therefore, if you are grateful for that, then we are called to give to others. Someone said it like this, never are you more like God than when you give. Why? Because the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave, right, his one and only son. And so again, why do we do this? Well, one writer of scripture, again, 
A guy named Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through, that, that though he was rich, sorry, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. You see, we have benefited in lavishness for the poverty of Christ. It's upside down. It doesn't make sense. But you see, because Jesus willingly left the comforts of heaven, we're the beneficiaries of that. And so our bank statements, whether we like it or not, reveal just how much we understand what Jesus has done on our behalf. Some of the most generous people in my life also have this deep awareness of what Jesus has done for them, of his work on the cross. And I have to say, it is so good to be a part of a church that understands this really well. You see, giving to Crossroads is literally giving to the kingdom of God. When you give here, you are giving to more than just what you may see and experience here on our Newburgh campus. No, through your money, you are helping reach people all over the world. Since 2004, our church has partnered with a man named Ahmed who grew up Muslim in Tunisia. When we began our partnership with Ahmed, he had a dream to create a TV show that would permeate every living room in Tunisia and other North African countries. Now, the purpose of this show from the beginning was to tell people that turning away from Islam was possible and that Jesus provides something far better. Well, come to find out that 80-episode television show produced by the help of two partners here at Crossroads that were serving in the region at the time helped create this culture shift where all Tunisians over the country realized that they could actually question their Muslim faith and choose for themselves what they chose to believe. In other words, they didn't have to grow up in the Muslim religion if they didn't want to. I mean, after leaving Tunisia under the threat of persecution, Ahmed began working on media and television programming that would literally impact the entire uh, Middle East. Well, his show started spreading like wildfire through the Middle East, and and he began uh, appearing on satellite networks that reached into both Christian and Muslim homes throughout the Arab world. We continue to this day to partner with Ahmed as he works to connect the Arab world to Jesus. And so not only has his TV ministry influenced millions of people in the Middle East for Jesus, But a mass amount of people are now citizens in God's kingdom as a result of this work. And so the question is this, how is a work like this possible? I mean, how how is it even possible to continue to partner with guys like Ahmed? Well, I'll tell you how. Because many of you show up here each and every week, you come here every single month, and you understand what it means to practice generosity. And so because of your generosity, because of you giving, because you could really honestly give to a lot of other things, because you, your money could go towards a lot of other aspects in our culture, no, your money is being used to advance the kingdom of God, not just here in our community, but all throughout the world. And so well done. Good job. Two weeks from now, Ahmed and his wife, Ellie, are actually going to be with us here at Crossroads. And if you would like to meet them, uh, we are going to be having a gathering noon in the chapel, uh, July 17th. Again, that's two weeks from today. All right, back there, you can actually hear and see and experience what your money uh, has been doing overseas. And I just want to invite you to be a part of this because it's going to be an amazing opportunity for you to see how the kingdom of God is much bigger than what you see and experience here on a weekend. All right, 
And so come and be a part of this. We want to invite you to uh, just hear some of the more uh, stories of how God has been working uh, through their ministry. And so when we practice mercy in our life, when we show mercy in our life, all right, it's about extending forgiveness, it's about pursuing compassion, but it's also about practicing generosity. Now, what's interesting is that in the ministry of Jesus, throughout his ministry, he confronted one question that his closest friend, one of his closest friends asked him at one point in time. They asked him, hey, what, what does the opposite of mercy look like? And so what we're going to do for the next few moments is look at this story that Jesus told in order to uh, kind of self-identify for his hearers and audience that day of what it looks like to kind of run the opposite direction of mercy. And so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, for the next few moments, we're going to look at this story. Uh, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew is towards the back fourth of your Bibles, uh, right in between the Old Testament book of Malachi and New Testament book of Mark, all right? If you don't own a Bible, there's a black Bible right in front of you. If you're worshiping with us back in the chapel, it's right on that table as you walked in a moment ago. And uh, I want to invite you to turn to chapter 18. Words will be up here on the screen. Now, as you're turning there, understand that the book of Matthew serves as kind of like a biography uh, for the life of Jesus, all right? Matthew was a close friend of Jesus, and he recorded different things that Jesus did, different things that he said throughout his life. And and so this story that we're going to look at is uh, one of those moments. Now, in the history of the church, this story has been referred to as the parable of the unmerciful servant. Now, that word parable is kind of a fancy Bible word that simply means a story that helps us understand and see God and his kingdom a little bit more clearly. And so Jesus' closest friends were curious about this backwards life in God's kingdom. I want you to take a look at what was asked of him in verse 21 by a good friend of Jesus. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, Peter asked. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, another way to rephrase the question Peter asked is, how many times should I do for others what's been done for me, Jesus? (laughs) Now, in the first century Jewish culture, the number seven represented completeness or wholeness. And so when Peter threw that number out, he anticipated that Jesus would tell him that after seven times, buddy, I mean, you're off the hook. You're done. You don't have to forgive anymore beyond that. And so Jesus' reply here caught Peter off guard because he doesn't say, no, after seven, you're done. No, he says 77 times. And that was kind of Jesus' way of saying, saying, don't keep track, show endless mercy. You see, Jesus knew that if he were to put a limit on the amount of times that we were to show mercy, we would do probably the minimum required And so really, this question that Peter asked was really the wrong question to be asking to begin with. I mean, imagine how you'd respond if when you go home today, one of your kids comes up to you and says, hey, how many times can I wreck your car without you being really angry? Right, or how many times can I throw a party while you're gone before you're gonna ground me for the entire summer? I mean, that's the wrong question to be asking, right? Because it reveals that the heart isn't in the right place, that the motives are off. And and so that's kind of what, Peter was asking from. And so Jesus says, no, do for others what's been done for you whenever the opportunity arises. And so mercy isn't some, something that we check off on a to-do list, but it's a lifestyle that we live. And so to illustrate his point, look at the story that Jesus told in verse 23. Jesus said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants 
As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now understand that in this story here, we represent the servant who owed the king 10,000 bags of gold, all right? This was an enormous debt in which today's equivalence would be as high as $1 trillion. Here's the point that Jesus is getting at. Don't miss it. This servant owed a debt that he couldn't pay. And so the king ordered that he be sold into slavery. This was a very common and accepted practice back then, but I want you to notice that it wasn't just the man who was gonna have to pay for his wrongdoing. No, his family was gonna be sold into slavery as well. And you see, oftentimes when we mess up, it's the people that we love most, the people that are closest to us that end up having to live with the consequences, right? Isn't that some of our stories? Look at what happens next in verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, there was nothing that this servant could do to dig himself out of this large deficit. Yet here we see that he did the very thing many of us do whenever we become aware of our sin and brokenness. He tried to fix it himself. He tried to be a part of the solution. Now, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you don't need me to stand up here and tell you how broken and off and and even sinful you are. I mean, we all intrinsically know that something isn't right within each of us. And so what a lot of us do when we become aware of this Sin issue is we try to kind of work it off ourselves, right? About a year ago, a friend of mine uh, showed up here on a Sunday morning. He's an atheist, and I was a little bit surprised to see him or see him here, but I was really glad that he was here. But I could tell when he walked in this room that he was upset about something. Well, after talking with him for a few moments, he shared with me that on the previous Friday night, he accidentally slept with a coworker who was married. And he said to me, he said, I know what I did was wrong. And so I've showed up here to church, hoping that I can leave here feeling a little bit better about myself. I was so glad that he showed up here. May Crossroads always be a church that welcomes and embraces messy and broken people. I mean, we're all at different points in our journey, right? But did you catch his reasoning for why he was here to begin with? He knew that there was a deficit upon his life. He knew that he had done something wrong. He knew that there was this debt. And so he tried to compensate it himself by sitting through a one-hour service and hoping that at the end he could be free of it. Now, that may be a more extreme example, but the truth is we all try to do this, don't we? His story isn't unlike a lot of ours. And so what we see here in this story is that this is a debt that the unmerciful servant couldn't pay off himself. And so Jesus says that in verse 27, the king that day took pity on him. In other words, the king paid a debt that he didn't owe. And so what does the servant do after his debt has been pardoned? Look at verse 28. But when that servant went out, He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and, and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. 
Notice that's the very same thing that he had just said to the king a moment ago when he is aware of this debt that he owed upon his life. And so literally the first thing the servant did when leaving the king's palace was find a coworker who owed him a small amount of money. Now what his friend owed him here was a fraction and significantly less than the debt he had with the king. Scholars indicate that the debt was about half a million times greater than what his friend owed him. And so Jesus is saying here, hey, look, this, this is the opposite of mercy. This is what it looks like to, to lack forgiveness. This is how bitterness and resentment take roots, take, takes root within us. When we turn away from extending forgiveness to those who have hurt us, when we neglect pursuing compassion towards those who are needy, or we cease to practice generosity, we are saying to other people what this servant said to his coworker in verse 28, hey, look, you owe me. Entitlement is the enemy of mercy. I mean, it's as if Jesus is saying that the people who neglect mercy think that they are the center of the universe. And what I've observed in my life is that nothing gets between me doing for others what's been done for me more than my pride. Check out verse 30. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt, verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And so the servants noticed this obvious disconnect between what had been done for him, the unmerciful servant, and what he was asking a fellow servant to do for him. I mean, it outraged the bystanders. And so rather than taking an opportunity for him to do for this one what had been done for him, the unmerciful servant ran the opposite direction. Why? Because mercy is costly. It's messy at times. It's inconvenient, right? Father Damien was a Belgian priest who served in a leper colony on a Hawaiian island back in the 19th century. And it's been said that he would frequently stand up in front of his community and he would say, God loves you lepers. God loves you lepers. He said that every single week until one week he stood up and he said, God loves us lepers. See, Father Damien later died from leprosy. Now, why would he do that? You see, he, he knew what had been done for him through Jesus, therefore it was the least he could do to go out and do for others in a very physical way. You see, he knew the price of his sin, yet he was constantly aware of what Jesus had done on his behalf. Verse 32, look at this. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed, which was impossible. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you, Jesus says, unless... You forgive unless you show mercy towards your brother or sister from the heart. And so Jesus challenged the people hearing him that day that his kingdom is about personally experiencing limitless grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. But this is an obstacle for some though because what's been received must also be given towards others. It's a call to responsibility really. But what if it's the way of freedom? 
I mean, what if this is just a, a better way for us to live? I mean, my experience has been that a lot of weight is released when we get to a place of giving to others rather than always expecting for other people to give to us. What if the best way to experience grace is for people, is, for, for, is to not only always expect people to give it to you, but for you to give it to others? And so we've all walked in here today and we're all broken, we're all imperfect, we all have flaws. Every one of us has a massive debt upon our life that we can't pay ourselves. Francis Fenelon was a royal tutor to the former king of France and when trying to explain to the king who literally had it all, who had the world at his disposal, what it was like to stand before a holy God, a holy king, he said it was just tough. I mean, how, how do you explain to someone before him who's been disillusioned by so much wealth and so much of what he had accumulated? And so this is how he said it to the king that day. He said, it would be well from the beginning to picture yourself as a poor, naked, miserable wretch, perishing of hunger, who knows but one man of whom he can ask or hope for help. Or as a sick person, he said, covered with sores and ready to die, unless some pitiful physician will take him in hand and heal him. He went on to say this to the king, your soul is infinitely more sin sick than that sore stricken patient, and God alone can heal you. You see, it's really tough for us to see beyond the illusions that this world has to offer. But before our king, we are desperate. Before our king, we are hungry, we are thirsty. I mean, the payment that we owe is not something that we can pay. We can't afford it. But you see, in his grace and mercy, the king has stepped forward and has offered to pay our debt, not because of what we've done, but all because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He offers forgiveness in the face of offense. He offers clothing in the face of our nakedness. He gives us riches in our poverty. You see, that's what's been done for us. And so I'm only talking to those of us in here who have accepted that offer. If and if you have received this offer by leaning your life upon what Jesus has done for you, then I just wanna leave you with one question today and it's this. In what ways do you disconnect what you give from what you've received? In what ways do you disconnect what you give from what you've received? Now, some things may be serious for us, and there may be some other areas of our life that aren't so serious, right? I mean, never is my disconnect revealed more than when I'm driving down the Lloyd in the fast lane, and one of you is driving like 15 miles an hour, right? Or when I'm watching my favorite college basketball team, and the ref makes a poor call against my team. I mean, I think I'm a patient and understanding person until I am put in those scenarios. You know what I'm saying? But then my disconnect is revealed in more serious ways. My disconnect can be seen in the way that I raise my voice to my children whenever they don't obey me the first time that I ask them to do something. My disconnect is revealed whenever bitterness or resentment is building up within me and I believe that somebody owes me something just because of a comment they directed towards me. Or never is my disconnect revealed more than when I want to consume more and more money and collect rather than giving to somebody in my path who I know has a need. And so what does this look like for you? I mean, if mercy is all about doing for others what's been done for you, then what parts of your life reveal your forgetfulness over the debt that Jesus has paid on your behalf? 
And you see, when the parts of us that show our disconnect is exposed, rather than responding out of guilt by trying harder, doing more, being more determined the next time, maybe the answer for us in here is to remember what Jesus has done on our behalf. Perhaps the solution to our forgetfulness is remembering the grace and mercy that our King has shown us in our time of need. I know of a lady in our church named Carla. Carla has struggled with her health over the course of her life. After her parents passed away, they left, they left her all alone in her house, being isolated. And, and due to her disability, she lives on Social Security. To say, to, to say the least, every single month is just a struggle for her to, to make ends meet. When she first started attending Crossroads, she met with one of our financial counselors. And because, and because again, of your generosity, we've been able to help her out and come alongside her in the midst of, of her brokenness. Now, if you met Carla, you would never know that she has struggled as much as she has. She just possesses this contagious joy about her. She's a delight to be around. When a friend of hers first introduced her to Jesus a while back, she told her to write down specific ways that God had uniquely provided for her each and every month. Well, a few months ago when I met Carla for the first time, she put this massive three-ring binder before me, and when I opened it up, there was in small print, line by line, specific ways of, of how God had provided for her and shown his faithfulness to her for over two decades. And I got to thinking, perhaps the biggest and greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness over what Jesus and God has already done for us. And so maybe rather than trying harder, maybe rather than being more determined, the answer for a lot of us in here today is to look back and, and see what Jesus has done, how he has provided for us in our time of need. <clears throat> We're going to end a little bit differently in here today. I've asked Joel and the band to come out and play a song called All the Poor and Powerless. Maybe you've heard the song before, but the song describes how before the king, before our God, we are all desperate. We are all hungry and thirsty. We all have this debt upon our life that we can't fulfill ourselves. And, and so what Jesus has done, the offer that he gives each and every one of us is to pay that debt. And so our response is to be glad about it, is to be grateful. And so in this song, you're going to notice some lines go like this, to, to go out and shout it, to scream hallelujah. In other words, that's our response for what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so use this as an opportunity to maybe reflect. Words will be up on the screen and, and maybe you can, through the lyrics, see your story and see how God the King has come and provided for you in your time of need. And and just know that there's freedom here in the next few moments. If you want to respond out of gratitude, you may stand and worship. You may make this song your prayer. You may make this song. Um, this is just a, an occasion for you to connect with God and, and for you to look back on and, and think, well, where has that disconnect been apparent in my life? Well, before that song is sung, let me pray for us, uh, and then this song will be played. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you've done, not just for me, but for everybody in this room, whether those of us have walked in here receiving what you've offered or not. The truth is that your word tells us time and time again that even when we were in hostility towards you, even when we were your enemies, even when we were the ones who filed for divorce, you were the one who reconciled that relationship with us. 
And so God, you've given us a lot of grace and mercy. You've helped us in our time of need and, and you're gonna continue to do so because that's, that's what it means to be a part of your kingdom. But God, that also means that we have a responsibility and an obligation. And so, uh, Lord, would you just help us to see more clearly how we are all poor and powerless and desperate and thirsty, that apart from you, Jesus, the King, we would be nothing. And so may our lives reflect, Lord, what it is that you have provided for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.